three Sundays. Brother Robert has done a good job, and uh, here I am. Uh, in fact, um, I enjoyed that last song, Look and Live. But there's another song that uh, I found in our old hymnal, the old American hymnal, that's titled, Look to the Lamb of God. I don't know, do you know that one? Oh, he knows it, but it's not in our, our new hymnal, so we couldn't sing it today. But uh, uh, it's good to sing these great hymns of the faith, and we love worshiping as we sing them. Well, I wanted to um, share with you folks, as of last month, I've been pastor here at this church for 20 years. Um, and uh, in 2008, the Roland family and first the, uh, the Thomas family joined us and then the Rolands joined us and so forth. And God has been good to us. We've had some good times here at the church over these 20 years. And... Uh, it seems to me that when you get to be my age, it's, you, you should have the right to slow down a little bit. So, um, I'm going to, and I've, I've mentioned this to Brother Robert. Uh, I guess he, he skipped out on me, uh, but uh, Jeannie will tell him uh, that... Um, I'm going to ask Brother Robert to change from our administrative or executive pastor to be the lead pastor. And I'm going to stay the senior pastor. Now, that may just be semantics. Uh, but nothing's going to be changed. It's going to keep on going just like it has been. But uh, I'm going to move back and just let Br Brother Robert uh, lead and... Uh, I'll still preach when he wants me to preach and uh, do whatever he wants me to do. So just thought I'd get that off of my chest and uh, appreciate all of your prayers and your support uh, down through all of these years. And uh, I still believe that God has some good things to do here at this church. And uh, we look forward to, to seeing what he's going to do in this new year. Well, we just got one verse that we're going to read this morning. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Uh, and um, the title of the sermon comes from that verse, Look and Live. And that's where the song that we just sang came from, from this verse of Scripture. And it says, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. And uh, that's the gospel from the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before Christ came into the world and was born in Bethlehem. And so, Look and Live is the title of my sermon this morning. I would like for us 
to begin by going back 172 years. On January the 6th, today's January the 2nd, 2022, but on January the 6th, 1850, there was a young man, 15 years of age, 50 miles out of London in the country district. Sunday morning, he was on his way to church. There was a blinding snowstorm. And so he decided that it was not going to be practical for him to make it to the church that he had planned to go to. So instead, as he was passing by, he went down a little lane and there was a primitive Methodist chapel there in that lane. He went inside that little church, that primitive Methodist church, and because of the weather, there was only about a dozen people there. The pastor, the preacher, who was supposed to be there to deliver the sermon that morning, didn't make it because of the blinding snowstorm. And so the young man went in and uh, one of the deacons filled in for the missing preacher. And he brought the message. And his message was from Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Now, I know that this verse of Scripture was originally written and inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, to, and given to Isaiah for the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, God's chosen people. But I believe that it is a, still a message for us today because on January the 6th, 1850, that young man by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon heard the gospel message. He was brought under conviction by the Holy Spirit and saved by the marvelous grace of God. Charles Spurgeon was 15 years old. His father was a pastor, his grandfather was a pastor, his mother had a total, I think, of 19 children. Of those 19 children, about half of them, about 10, 9 or 10, had died in infancy. When Charles was a young boy, very young, he was sent to his grandparents to live with them. His grandfather was a pastor. And the church where his grandfather pastored had an extensive library. And in young Charles, as he grew up, he was a voracious reader. 
And uh, he read all of those books, the books written by the old Puritan scholars and so forth. And, and he just took it all in and he had all this knowledge up in his brain. But he was still lost. Well, you know, God can work marvelous things in, in people's lives. So all of that knowledge that he had taken in, God had a purpose in it and God used it. And uh, so and, and let me chase down a rabbit trail here. God does marvelous things. Years ago, over back in Taiwan, we were living in the city of Taichung. And uh, in our Taipei church, where Brother Jack Bateman was the missionary, there was a young man by the name of Kong, surname Kong, Lai Chang, but everybody called him Kong Guga. Gaga meaning big brother because he was one of the older ones in the young people's meeting. Well, he graduated from high school and he had to serve his military duty for two years. And during that time, he was stationed 30 minutes from where we lived in the city of Taichung. And so his English name was Paul. Kangaga Paul Kong on his one day a week off from his military duty at the base he came to our house and during that year that he was stationed there he came weekly and faithfully to our house and uh, he would go into mass study and he went through every book I had in my library. He was a brilliant young man, very intelligent, with a mind that was able to soak in all of the things that he read. Later, Kongaga got his doctor's degree. And he was president of the China Evangelical Seminary in Taipei, Taiwan. The last I we had of him, he was had Christian radio, a television station in Taiwan. Paul Kong was teaching and preaching the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ through that medium of television. All because, well, I like to think my library did it. It was good to know that God could do things. Well, that's what happened to Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And so that morning he came into that little primitive Methodist church and heard that old deacon get up, and, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But he was convicted of his sin and he then realized, look to Jesus and be saved. Okay, well, um, 
We're going to consider this verse, and I apologize. I had some slides, and I was supposed to, I thought I'd put them in the drop box, and they would be available, but they didn't get here. So you'll have to just look at me and listen. Point number one, the significance of salvation. Our scripture says, look unto me and be ye saved. And this is a word that appears frequently throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word translated here, saved, and its derivatives appears 353 times in the Old Testament. The Greek equivalent for this word for salvation appears over 100 times in the New Testament. So it is an important word. And when I hear this word, I think of certain verses of Scripture where it appears. For instance, when Paul and Silas were in prison and the earthquake came and they, their, the doors were opened and their bands were loosed. And the jailer came in thinking that he was, had lost all of his prisoners. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Saved. Because this jailer thought he had a predicament that the prisoners had all escaped and he would forfeit his life. And so, what is the significance of saved? Well, a person or nation that is in dire distress or danger or some great catastrophe or some great predicament, a Savior comes to deliver them and that person who delivers them is the Savior. He saves them from their distress, from their danger, from their peril. The action of the Savior or the deliverer delivers the person in danger from the circumstances that caused the catastrophe. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, you remember this story, the story of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He was there in the city of Jericho and Jesus was passing through. And we'd all know the story how Zacchaeus climbed up in the sycamore tree so that he could see this man, Jesus, that everybody was talking about. And when Jesus arrived, he said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house today. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was a Jew. Zacchaeus was a rich tax collector. But Zacchaeus was lost. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. For I am the Son of Man. And I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost. That is the word that the Bible uses to describe the terrible predicament that all human beings are in when we're born into this world. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're lost. 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 Well, um, I brought my book along. 
I decided if, if, if uh, I'm going to make it to the New York Times bestseller list, I've got to promote it. So in the book, there is a story that's titled Lost, Lost, Lost. And in the story, I tell about two of my children that got lost. First of all, there was Belinda. She's sitting here on the third pew. When she was about three years old, we were, had moved to the city of Taichung, and we had started a church, and we had rented this little house and the living room. We could pack in 20 people maybe. But they had Sunday school, and we had a, our foster daughter named Nancy, Nancy Yao. And Nancy would take Judy and Belinda to the Sunday school riding their pedaled rickshaw, the pedicab we called them. Well, one day, one Sunday, they went to church went to Sunday school, and then Barbara and I and Andrew arrived later when Sunday school was over, and Barbara started looking for our children, Belinda and Judy, so that they could sit with mother during Sunday school. But there was no sign of Belinda. We looked everywhere around the premises there, we couldn't find Belinda. No sign of her. She was lost. And we started searching the whole neighborhood. The Chinese co-worker, Brother David Liu, got on his motorcycle and he was circling the, the neighborhood in the area and looking and no sign of Belinda. Well, make a long story short, one of the little girls, you know, Belinda was a little blonde-headed, curly-haired girl, and it, it just fascinated the Chinese to see this little blonde, curly-haired girl. And they, they, they like to feel her hair and touch her hair. And, and so this little girl decided to take Belinda home with her from Sunday school. Well, we finally made the connection and found Belinda. But later on, our son Andrew, we went down to the bowling alley in downtown Taichung, seventh floor next door to the Far East department store. And we had a family outing. We went bowling. Well, after we finished bowling, I went over to pay the bill. And we started looking for Andrew. No, Andrew. Andrew was lost. We looked all over that building. We went next door to the Far East Department store, and we looked there, and we broadcast over the PA system, and no, Andrew. Andrew was lost. Finally, we called home. We had a young girl by the name of Duing who worked and helped Barbara with cooking and so forth, house cleaning and so forth. Called her and she said, Andrew's home. 
somehow Andrew had found a fellow there at the uh, first floor and told the fellow he, he, he was not very old, four years old or so. So, but my daughter who was lost was found and my son who was lost was found. Well, the wonderful thing about salvation is that God loves us and God wants to save every single person on the face of planet earth. God loves us. And so Jesus came into the world to save lost sinners. Point number two, the source of salvation. This verse says, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. That's the bottom line. God says, look unto me. I am God and there is none else. If there is to be a salvation for lost sinners who are perishing in their sins, it has to come from God. That's the message of the entire Bible. Now, the problem we face in the world today, a sad situation, is that if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God placed Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden, and he said, of all of the trees of the garden, you may eat the fruit thereof. But the fruit of this one tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you cannot, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, we know that sad story. The devil came and told his lie to Eve. He called God a liar, first of all. And he told Eve, you know, if you eat this fruit, you're going to be wise like God. And that's the reason God doesn't want you to have this fruit. Well, they bought into the devil's lie. They ate the fruit. And that started the downward spiral of human lostness, separated from God. And down through the ages, we, the devil has spread his lies. And I, I know I've said this many times, living in Taiwan for 40 years, a country, a place where for the entire island of Taiwan, every kilometer, that's about a third of a mile, you'll find some kind of temple or shrine or place to worship and burn incense to the many different gods that are worshipped over there. 
And the devil has deceived billions of people by his lies. I, I brought those up, but I have to live with my wife, so I have these two gods that I used to use in a display when we were visiting missionaries on deputation and so forth. And how many of you have seen those gods? No, 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 okay. Uh, some of you are shaking your head. They're highly decorated, carved out of a chunk of wood. And they'd make, probably make a good fire if you threw them on your fireplace. But there are people in Taiwan who worship those, who pray to those, who trust in those to hear their prayers and their requests and give them the things that they want. The devil's lies. The devil's lies Too many people in this world have been convinced that, hey, if you don't go to my church, you can't be saved. But God says, look to me, be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Churches don't save people. I've been a Baptist all my life. But there's no Baptist church in the world that's going to save anybody. Maybe through the message that we preach they'll be saved, but they will be saved because they look to Jesus Christ who died for them on the cross. There are people who have bought into the devil's lies that they can be saved through a particular person, a priest, a pastor, or a pope. No, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. There are those who have bought into the devil's lies that by observing the sacraments of the church, we can be saved. Or at least help us to get saved. Or help us to keep saved. But Jesus said, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that hymn that's not in our hymn book says, Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. It is His blood shed on the cross of Calvary that will redeem us, forgive us, and cleanse us of our sins. Many people have bought into the lie that they can pray to Mary or they can pray to some other of the saints and be saved. But I say that's a lie. Only look to Jesus. I'm thankful for my family, for my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and even further back, 
because of their faithfulness to God, I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. But because my parents were Christians or my grandparents or my great-grandparents were Christians, didn't make any difference for me as far as my salvation is concerned. Just like Charles Haddon Spurgeon on that cold winter day, January the 6th, 1850. He had a, a pastor father, a pastor grandfather, a mother and a grandfather, a grandmother who taught him and prayed for him, but he was still lost. So there's only one way, look to Jesus. Because Jesus is the solitary source of salvation. Do you remember that story in Acts chapter 4? Uh, Acts chapter 3 actually started out. Um, Peter and John went to the temple and there was a crippled man there at the gate of the temple. And he was asking for alms. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And so leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, Going on, verse 10 through 12, let be known to, to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That is the answer. The solitary answer, the only way. Jesus said in John 10 and 9, I am the door by me. If any man he enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the door the solitary door, the one and only door. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That's the message that Jesus gives us. First John chapter 5, verse 12, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Point number three, the scope of salvation. He says, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Aren't you glad that phrase is in there, all the ends of the earth. This is a big world we live in. 
It's a world with multitudes of languages. And um, you know, I wonder what language are we going to speak in heaven? That, that, that's an interesting thing, you know. If it's going to be a democracy, which I doubt, but if it's going to be a democracy, then it'll probably be Chinese because there's more Chinese in the world than any other. Speak the Mandarin Chinese. So I'm going to be ahead of you guys, but you know, just kidding. I'm going to let the Lord work that out. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the scope of salvation. Whosoever will believe in Jesus Christ, the son of God who came into this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, buried, rose again the third day, Jesus Christ, look to him and be saved. If any man enter in, I am the door. If any man enter in, any man or woman or boy or girl. Revelation twenty two seventeen. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. The scope. Let him who hears come. The scope. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And so that was a young man 172 years ago, January the 6th, 1850, Charles Spurgeon, full of knowledge but lost, but thirsting, desiring, wanting more than anything to know that he was saved by the grace of God. And so finally we come to the last point that we're going to talk about this morning, the simplicity of salvation. Look, how easy is that? Look. You know, this verse brings me naturally to John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Jesus there said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Those Israelites out there in the wilderness, they had committed gross sin against God. 
They were dying because they were being bitten by the serpents, but God gave them the remedy. Put that brazen serpent up on the top of the pole and whoever looked, look and live. Look and live. That's the answer. The problem is, number one, Satan's lies that so many people buy into and they get diverted and turned away from the simplicity of the truth of the gospel. Some people, the gospel is so simple that they stumble over it. They miss it. They want to complicate it. They want to add this or that to it. But God said, look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Look. Salvation is simple. Just look. Just believe the Bible. Believe the simple word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. You remember that story. Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, Paul said in another verse, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So he said, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. By which you are saved. There's that word again. For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. That's the answer. Boil down to where you and I can understand it. Believe, trust, receive, look to the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's it. And when we trust the Lord, when we believe from our heart, receive him as our Savior. We look to him as the one who can deliver us. I wanted to, and uh, <clears throat> I know y'all think I'm hung up on Charles Spurgeon today, but I wanted to read you from his own personal testimony about his conversion, his salvation. <clears throat> and this is quoting from Spurgeon. I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning while I was going to a certain place of worship. 
I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist church. In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I had heard of the primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they made people's head ache, but that did not matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now, it is well that preachers be instructed, but this man was really stupid. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimmer of hope for me in that text. The preacher began thus, and I won't be able to replicate his accent, I'm sure. This is a very simple text. Indeed, it says, look. Now, looking don't take the deal of pain, a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. I, he said in broad Essex, <clears throat> many, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> many on ye are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some say, look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some on ye say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look, Christ, the text says, look unto me. Then the good man, this is Spurgeon, then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me, I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. When he had managed to spin out about 10 minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did. But I had not been accustomed to having remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow, struck right home. He continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist could do, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. I saw at once the way of salvation.
I know not what else he said. I did not take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. I had been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard the word look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could always, almost have looked my eyes away. There and then, the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment, I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. Oh, that somebody had told me this before. Trust Christ and you shall be saved. And that was Charles Haddon Spurgeon's testimony. And God used that man who was saved on that cold January morning 172 years ago. God used him in a mighty way because when he was 19 years of age, he was called to pastor the New Park Street Baptist Church in London, England. And before many weeks, they were having to rent large music halls to accommodate the crowds because God used him mightily to preach the simple truth of the message of Jesus Christ. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And God used Charles Spurgeon. God is still using Charles Spurgeon. One of the, uh, in my book, I had another story that I was going to read you, but I, I forgot it, so we'll just ignore it. Uh, but one of the stories my, I put in here, my grandmother's autobiography. And one of the stories that she tells was that one day they had a storm. And back in that, that time, the houses didn't have a foundation. They were built up on, the, on stacks of rocks. And uh, the storm blew the house off of its stack of rocks. And uh, everything was blown everywhere but the one thing that she said the thing that she treasured was the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon that she loved to read and glean from them the truths of God's word and so God is a mighty God he still works today and uh, I don't know who might be hearing my voice today. But if you're lost, you understand, you realize that you're a sinner, that you need Jesus as your personal Savior. I would ask you right now, today, to just call on him. Ask him to come into your heart. 
Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Trust that he died on the cross for your sins. And you will be saved by his marvelous grace. Brother Steve is going to come lead us in our hymn of invitation. Would you stand, please? Number 323, Come Ye Sinners. <laughs> 